21. Jerry does have some Bibles, and if you're towards the back, you need a Bible, just raise your hand. There's some on the front platform. So we've traveled um, verse by verse through the book of Romans up to chapter 3, verse 20. We'll pick it up at verse 21 of the third chapter of Romans this morning. Here is in our study what we have seen in the first three chapters of Romans is the apostle named Paul has been pointing out the spiritual condition of man, and that is that we are lost. He's, he's pointed out the sinfulness of man, the depravity and darkness of all humanity. And keep in mind that Paul's not just giving his opinion. He's not making this up. He's not being negative. Paul is inspired by God to write these things down. And he tells us that all men are sinners, whether you are considered unrighteous or immoral or idolater, the one in chapter one described, or whether you see yourself as a self-righteous moralist, uh, re- you know, self-righteous uh, in your religiousness, uh, you are all guilty and Jew and Gentile alike. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. And as we saw last week that Paul has, he's been declaring starting in verse 18 of chapter one, that God's wrath will come upon all ungodliness and all, you know, unrighteousness. He, he tells us of our guilt. He brings it to a climax as we saw last week in verses 10 through 18 of chapter three, as he's quoting from the Old Testament. He, he's not making this up. Uh, the Bible has always declared the, the guilt of mankind. And he gives the divine diagnosis that is being declared by God, and that is man is sick. Man is spiritually sick and depraved. And there is none that is righteous. There is none who understands. There is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Man's throat is an open tomb. So when man says, ah, the stench of depravity comes out. And we read that as we continue in this section of Romans that Paul closing his case in verses 19 and 20 that we concluded last week that all the world is guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So as Paul has been very truthfully and and very painstakingly pointing out our guilt so that we can realize that we are guilty before God, we can understand our spiritual state, and then that's going to be something that is going to tell us that we need the Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't leave us without any hope. And now as we continue here, we're going to see that he's going to introduce dealing with the lostness of man, that we're guilty before God, to how it is that we are justified before God, the justification of man that begins in verse 21 of this chapter and now goes through chapter 5, verse 21. Let's begin to look at that as we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul making the case about our guilt for nearly three chapters, and then he says, but. 
the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed to us. And that word but, just he uses it like we would use it. It's a, it's a transition from the judgment of Romans to the justification of Romans. And that word justification that Paul uh, first uses in verse 20 means being declared righteous. It is actually a legal term. It means more than being forgiven and, and pardoned. It means being declared righteous, just Justification, a simple uh, understanding of the word when I was teaching high school kids uh, Old and New Testament survey that I would tell them, you know, how they could uh, remember certain words, the definition of them that we see in the scripture. And for justification, an easy way to remember for you and for me, justification literally means just as if I've never sinned. In the eyes of God, of course we have sinned. Our sins are forgiven. But positionally, justification means just as if I've never sinned. And in verses 21 and 22 that we read that this wonderful justification being declared uh, before God, first of all, as you might write down in your margins or you might underline, is apart from the law. It is not in addition to the law. Okay, it's apart from the law, not in addition to the law. The law does not save us. Justification cannot happen to the person who's trying to be religious or the person who's trying to keep the law because we all fail. We've established that, that God's standard for being declared righteous in our own efforts and religiousness is perfection and none of us come close to that standard. And if any of us are trying to relate to the Father on the basis of our own goodness and works, we will never be justified. But rather, verse 20, the law is the knowledge of sin. And I realize that I fall short of God's standard. I am guilty and I need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Second of all, this, this justification that is now being introduced to us is not only apart from the law, but we see that justification, righteousness, comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It comes by believing in Jesus Christ as we are righteous in him. Paul will begin to really develop this in the next chapter as he talks about Abraham. When was Abraham justified? Just so you know that this isn't anything new, I'm making this up, but he goes back to the Old Testament scriptures and he tells us and reminds us how in chapter 15 of Genesis that Abraham believed God and what? It was accounted to him for righteousness. It was years later, chapter 17, that circumcision came. It wasn't circumcision that declared him righteous. It was his faith, believing God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So that's the argument that we're going to see as we move into chapter 4. But before that, as we are introduced to justification, apart from the law, it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, justification is for all, on all who believe, whether you are Jew or Gentile. There is only one way to enter into salvation. Verse 22, for there is no difference, as he says here. It is for all who believe in Christ Jesus, who believe on him, his atoning work, who he is, that he rose from the grave. And that would really strike the, the Hebrew reader saying that this is for the Gentile as well. Yes, it is. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that that, that word all in the Greek literally means all. It doesn't mean most. It doesn't mean a majority. It doesn't mean everybody else but me. It means everybody that has ever lived or is living or will ever live in the future. 
is guilty, fallen short of the glory of God. The only exception is Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one that lived an absolute perfect life. But as we continue here, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, this verse is very important for us to understand and to underline, to highlight that we are justified freely by his grace. Paul saying justification, number one, apart from the law. Second of all, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, for all who believe. And then fourthly, justification is by grace. So as most of us know, that definition of grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve God's love. But because of his incredible grace, he has set his love upon me. And he set his love upon you. He set his love upon us before the world was even made. And that's incredible to me. To forgive me because of what Jesus Christ has done. To, to declare me justified by faith in Jesus Christ. The incredible grace and justification comes by grace through faith. So again, another word that we use is mercy. Now mercy means not getting what I deserve. What is it that I deserve? I deserve hell. I deserve the wrath of God. I've already been told that, but I'm not going to get it because of his grace and his mercy based on his love for me and what Jesus Christ did for me. Jesus is the one who died for me. He paid the price for my sin. It is by his grace and by his grace I am justified freely apart from the law. What that means is this. You cannot purchase it. You cannot earn it in your own works or efforts, your own religiousness. Christmas is coming. So I imagine that some of you haven't started already. You're going to start doing some Christmas shopping, aren't you? And we buy gifts for our kids and for our families, and, and that's part of the season. And we buy gifts for somebody that we love and care for and friends. And when we give a gift to somebody, wouldn't it be odd if they said, uh, you know, I think I, I need to pay you some money for this gift. You know, I need to pay you for this. I, I really don't deserve this. And it, it would be almost offensive to, to those of us who give because we care for people. We love them. We want to give because that's, you know, uh, what we want to do out of our hearts to give. When we, we give to our kids, we give to anyone. To receive justification by grace freely by grace means that it is giving motivated purely by the giver. And it comes only by and completely by God. That's how strong of a word freely and grace is. And if we don't understand that justification is given freely by grace, then we will end up in our spiritual lives trying to earn it and add on to it by some work or some ritual or some effort. And how dare we do that? that the vileness and sinfulness of man that has been described to us in these chapters, 1, 2, and 3, listen, to try to add to the marvelous work of the cross and to think that somehow that we can improve on or add to the work of salvation that Jesus did on Calvary's cross. You see, oftentimes I'll get people that will argue with me or <clears throat> at the front door or they'll argue with me, call me or whatever the case may be, email me and say, why don't you people at Calvary Chapel worship on the Sabbath day? You're not real Christians. 
or you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And I'll ask them this question. I'll ask them, can you really improve or add to the work of salvation that Jesus provided on the cross? Are you saying that his work wasn't complete? That it's not finished? And that'll get them thinking. Redemption is through Jesus Christ, the purchasing of my salvation, the enjoying of the state of being justified who, you know, Jesus purchased me by his blood and brought forgiveness for me. And so it is justification given freely by grace, not cheaply. Sometimes the response will come, well, it's just cheap grace. It's given freely to us. Didn't cost me anything, but it came at an incredible cost to God who freely gave his son who would come and suffer on that hill that was outside the Damascus gate of Jerusalem called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And we are redeemed and purchased and God pays the cost so we are justified freely and we are redeemed not with silver and gold as Peter writes in his epistle but with the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. His blood purchased me. It redeemed me. I belong now to God. He paid the ransom for me and the Greek word for purchase means paid in full. It doesn't mean paid in partial. It's paid in full. And that's why Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. He did not say, it's finished on my part, now you got to do your part. It is paid in full. And the purchase is complete. So it comes our justification and redemption at an incredible cost. And that is why when someone starts suggesting, what do you mean? You just believe in Jesus? Uh, you believe by grace and we're saved? That sounds like cheap grace. I, I, I realize that they really don't understand that it's not cheap grace. It costs Jesus everything. He left his home in glory and came and dwelt among us. And he would come and suffer in ways that we can't fully understand. And he died for us. And he paid the price completely redeeming us as he purchased us from the slavery of sin that we once belonged to and were enslaved to, the world and Satan. You see, in this time in the Roman Empire, there were some 60 million slaves that were in the empire. They knew of this concept of redemption, uh, of being freed, the ransom being paid when they were redeemed out of slavery. So our justification and redemption is in Jesus Christ, not in us, not in our efforts. Let's continue reading in verse 25. Whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Jesus by his death, by his blood, was a propitiation for us. That word propitiation now. That is, he was judged in our place Jesus, price that he paid, he satisfied, that's a simple definition of propitiation, means the satisfaction. He satisfied with his sacrifice on Calvary completely God's demand against sinful humanity. His death on the cross is the satisfying of God's holy law, the meeting of the just demands of a holy God towards a sinner, towards you and me. That he's the propitiation, the satisfaction uh, against our sins. The Father is satisfied with the payment that has been made by his blood. 
Now, the Greek word, that word propitiation, we have seen twice in 1 John, in our study of 1 John this summer. We see it in the book of Romans here, chapter 3. There's one other place in the New Testament that we see it. And it's the word, same Greek word, that is used for the word mercy seat in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5. It's a Septuagint for mercy seat. It was the lid, the mercy seat in the Old Testament that covered the Ark of the Covenant, that covenant that that was in the Holy of Holies, that box that contained the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and the mercy seat was lit on top of it, of, of the cherubim, and on the Jewish holiest day, the day of atonement, according to Leviticus chapter 16, that the high priest, the only time he would go behind the veil to the Holy of Holies, he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat to atone or to cover Israel's sin for another year. It satisfied God for another year. Now Jesus was the final and complete satisfaction against sin. And also to the Greek mind, so to the Jewish mind, that's the meaning of it. To the Greek mind, it's the classical form was used of the act of appeasing the Greek gods by a sacrifice. They came out of paganism and idolatry. That's what the Greek mind would think of, that word uh, propitiation. In other words, the sacrifice was offered to buy off the anger of God, the wrath of God. Now keep in mind that verse 18, chapter 1, you know it well, that the wrath of God is revealed against what? All ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Jesus took that wrath upon himself for you and for me. The wrath and the anger of God being hurled at his son on the cross. That's absolutely amazing to me. Something that, that we can't fully understand, but the word of God declares it. You see, there are certain things that you and I see in the news. And we have news all around us, 24-hour news cable networks, you know, the Internet, um, on our phones. We are in a world where constant information is before us and images. And we watch the news, the local news, the national world news. And we see all the things around us that, that can make us angry, right? The injustice, the, the mass shootings, the, the crimes against children, all these different things. And, and we see it, we hear about it, maybe we've been affected by it, even personally. And we get aroused, and, and it touches us deeply, and we can have that anger because we hear about it. We think, that's not right. And it seems like the world is getting darker. And it's getting more evil. And as we see it, it arouses us, the anger in us. It makes us mad. The hurtful things that people do, the terrible things, sin against others, the injustice, all these things that can affect us. Can you imagine? Because you see, we can turn the news off. We can turn off the computer, turn off the, the TV or the internet or whatever, take a break from it. But can you imagine God? Can you imagine God who sees it all? All of man's sin, all the injustice, and, and he has seen it through every person from Adam and Eve on. It, it's absolutely something that, again, that I think about and I think, wow. God who sees everything, knows everything. And the Father took 
all of the righteous anger and wrath that he felt and he hurled it on his son. Isaiah chapter 53, that the iniquity of us all were put upon him. He was on that cross suffering and dying for you and for me. He was the substitute, the appeasement, the propitiation, the satisfaction for your sin and my sin. In Numbers chapter 21, the people of God were complaining. Uh, and, and so these fiery serpents came into the camp. They were biting the people. They were beginning to die. So they cried out to Moses. Moses intercedes. And the Lord says, Moses put a brass serpent upon a pole, put it in the middle of the camp. And anyone who looks upon that brass serpent will be healed, is going to live. It would be 1,500 years later that Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That is, I am going to be lifted up on the cross, Nicodemus. Brass speaks of judgment in the Old Testament. And Jesus took the judgment for us so that we can look to him. We are healed, aren't we? From the snake of sin that has bit us and we are saved and forgiven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The father turned to his innocent son and laid upon him, again, the iniquity of us all. So when I understand that word propitiation, it's a word that we don't really hear today or we don't use that word much today. But an understanding of that word, I think, number one, is I think about that Jesus was the propitiation for me. It touches my heart deeply to think and know that God loves me so much and he loves you with that same love that he would actually send his son freely and willingly to become the object of God's wrath for sinful humanity. And it is so wondered that Paul would write in the New Testament that we have so great a salvation. Second of all, as I think and understand about propitiation, it makes me realize this, and I hope that you do as well, that God isn't angry at you. He isn't angry at you. But rather, as I come in faith in Jesus Christ, now I have peace with God. And sometimes I'll talk with Christians that have this unhealthy terror of God. They feel like God is always angry at them and, and out to get them and waiting for them to make a mistake. And, and I've had Christians tell me that God is judging me. And I tell them, be careful, because Jesus took the judgment for you. He may chasten you and discipline you, but the Word of God says he does that because you belong to him, because of his love for you. Just as a parent, we discipline our own children. Why? Because we're angry at them, we do it because we love them. We want what's best for them. And so we can be thankful for the chastening or the disciplining of the Lord. And propitiation makes me realize that I have peace with God, and then I can have the peace of God in my heart, and I can enjoy Him. As I desire to come to Him, not out of fear and terror, but out of love and awe of His wonderful goodness and grace. And then thirdly, propitiation, listen, makes me realize that sin is serious. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. That, that means a reverence for God in Proverbs chapter 1. And to fear God is to hate sin. Do you realize that you and I as Christians, that we are to hate sin? That's the proper view that we're to have of sin. When we sin, we should, it should grieve us because it grieves God. 
Sin is serious and it hurts. And sin costs God his only son to suffer and die. And this grace that we enjoy, sometimes people say, well, you know, and the Hebrew mind would think that means you can just go out and do whatever it is that you want to because you're saved by grace through faith. And you see, people will say that means you can just go out and live any way that you want. Paul will cover that. And as we finish the doctrine of justification, that we will go into the doctrine of sanctification. And in chapter six, in the beginning of that, Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, no, no way. We're dead to that stuff. We identify with Christ now. So it's a very important section that we'll be going into. But here, as I realized that Jesus was the propitiation for me, that when sin is at the door, if I have opportunity to sin or transgress or to be carnal in what I watch or what I participate in and and what I'm involved in or speak unkind words, I think about what Jesus did for me. Lord, your wrath should have been poured out on me, but you poured it out on your son. And you, Lord, absorbed the wrath that I deserve on the cross of Calvary. And sin is serious. In verse 25, whom God sent forth again as we read it as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So people ask me, they say, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Well, during the Old Testament time, the Old Covenant, God established a method by when you sin, you could bring a sin offering, right? Two words important, transference and substitution. So you would come to the priest there at the temple and that you would lay your hands upon that animal and you would confess your sins and your sins were transferred onto that animal and then that animal became a substitute for you and they would sacrifice that animal. That was the sin offering. And as they did that, they were looking in faith, looking forward to the sacrifice that God would provide for man's sin through his son, Jesus Christ. So those believers of the Old Testament who looked in faith to the coming of Messiah had their sins covered in the Old Testament, Kofar. We went over this quite extensively in our study of the book of Hebrews. That's why those sacrifices were done over and over and over again, year by year by year, is because it was not a complete work. It was sort of an IOU till Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came and died for our sins once and for all. That's a phraseology that you see in the book of Hebrews. He died for our sins once and for all. He would redeem us for full payment at the cross. So they look forward to the cross in faith. In faith, we look back to the cross. Paul's addressing that issue in verse 25 and verse 26 to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, this is important as well because God is just. He will judge justly, right? He's the lawgiver. And in order to forgive you and me, God must have a just basis for forgiveness. Now, God would be just if he simply sent every single one of us to hell. He would be just in doing that because Paul has established that we're all guilty. But God, because of his love for us and his provision through his son, Jesus Christ, he is not only just and he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Another one, in other words, God is the one who declares one justified, not you, not me. Oh, that person's saved because they were a good person. 
You're not the justifier. We're all declared guilty. And he's the one that declares us righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ. And in order for God both to be just and the justifier, he did not say, well, you know, we'll just overlook sin. I'll just forget about sin. There's good in everybody. Boys will be boys. It's just everybody's going to end up in heaven together and bliss together. And unfortunately, that is the view of a lot of people. That God is a loving God. He's not going to send anyone to hell. And, and, and everyone is saved. And there are even some in the uh, Christian circles now that say there is no hell. That sometimes they believe in annihilation, whatever it may be. But the law said that there was to be punishment for breaking the, the law, God's law. God's own word declares that the breaking of the law, the punishment is death. The wages of sin is death. For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what God's word declares. And, but God is just and he's the justifier. He can declare us innocent, righteous on what? on the basis of Jesus Christ, who is the substitution for you and for me. Jesus taken upon himself your sins, my sins, bore our guilt. Thus, as we put our faith in him, the work that he did on the cross, God thus can now offer that forgiveness of your sins and the cleansing of your past. He can justify you before God of any wrongdoing that you've ever done. So he declares us justified just as if I'd never sinned. And that is so glorious and that is so amazing. And I believe that's the greatest miracle of all. We read of the miracles here in the Bible. And I believe in the miracles of the Bible, every single one of them, that they happen just as it's recorded. But I believe the greatest miracle is a heart that's turned to Jesus Christ and forgiven and declared justified and righteous before God and becomes a new creation in Christ. And that's why Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it's the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. And to those who say, I don't care, justice is going to be rendered. And all unrighteousness and all ungodliness will be punished. Verse 18 of chapter 1. That's what the Word of God declares. I remember talking with someone, maybe you've had this happen, and I remember they were just, just all of a sudden abrupt and, and said, just stop me and said, I don't need anyone dying for my sins. And I thought, that's pretty blunt, that's pretty foolish. Because Jesus has made a provision for you. Because it is needed. We're all guilty. But as we continue, where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. No one in heaven will ever be able to boast and say, look at my religiousness. Look at my devotional life. My depth of spirituality. That's why I'm here, Lord. No, boasting is going to be excluded. Why? Because we are justified freely by his grace through faith. And that eliminates any boasting that we can come up with. And what a glorious day it will be when Jesus presents me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The end of Jude tells us that little epistle in the back of your Bible that he is going to present you and me faultless in the presence of the Father with exceeding joy in his glory. And that's reality. And I think about that. 
And we're going to stand there and go, I was such a, a religious person or I, you know, kept the law or I was baptized or I was circumcised or I worshiped on the Sabbath. I belong to this church. There's going to be none of that. But the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you because of what Jesus did for us. And we won't be standing there going, I was so good and faithful and so wonderful. Boasting is going to be eliminated because salvation, listen, always remember this, salvation is God's work. He is good and faithful and wonderful. And that causes us to marvel at Him and to worship Him. Do you ever realize that when you go through the Gospels, that the religious leaders, you never see them truly worshiping. Oh, they would say prayers and, and all of this, but you never see them truly worshiping. Who do you see worshiping? The woman of Luke chapter 7 that we talked about last week. The one who came to the feet of Jesus, known as a notorious sinner, and she falls and worships, and she's washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And Jesus said to her that your sins, which are many, are forgiven, and the one who's forgiven much loves much. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who's the one that's worshiping? It's the one that comes to the Lord and says, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner, the tax collector. It isn't the Pharisee that came to the temple and said that I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector and others. I fast twice a week. I give of all. I'm so religious. Jesus said it was the tax collector that came in humility and asked for forgiveness and said, confess that he's a sinner. He's the one that went to his home justified. So it's the one who knows something of the Lord's grace and goodness and forgiveness, who truly worships, who truly has a love for the Lord. In verse 28, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So underline, show the person who boasts that they have eternal life because they were baptized or kept the Sabbath or speak in tongues or, you know, I belong to this group or whatever people will emphasize as being part of their righteousness no way. It is clear what the Bible says in verse 29. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Through faith, salvation, justification is both for the Jew who circumcised and the Gentile who was uncircumcised. It's available to all through faith. And then as we conclude, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the, the Hebrew reader, the Jew, Jewish reader might ask, if the law doesn't make us righteous, what good is it? Just believe in faith. Paul says faith establishes the law because the law then points us to Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll talk about more in detail next time. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these very important verses that are, are given to us so we can be established in truth of our salvation, how it is that we are justified. Salvation is your work. We thank you for the coming of Jesus who died for our sins once and for all, died on the cross to be the propitiation, to be the appeasement, to make atonement, to purchase us out of the slavery of death and sin. We thank you. And Lord, we know it's not by our own religiousness or efforts because we fall short. 
So I do pray, if you're here this morning, you've never given your heart over to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've tried to be good. You thought that you were saved because you went to a church or belonged to a church or your Christians, your, your parents were Christians, whatever. Have you made a commit, commitment and profession of faith to Jesus Christ who died for you, realizing that you're a sinner in need of him, to believe in him, to repent and turn to him? Maybe you're here and you think, God can never forgive me. He died for your sins. He loves you. And he's calling you to himself. And today is the day of salvation. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, will you do so today? He loves you. He's made provision for salvation and forgiveness. And he's calling you. And you can pray right where you're, you're sitting. Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I do confess that I'm a sinner. I know that. I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sins, and the work is complete. You rose from the grave. You're alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and enjoy you and walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your incredible grace and salvation freely given to me by grace through faith. Lord, help me to stay close to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And this morning, what I'm going to ask as we conclude here in just a minute, we've got a prayer team up front that if you made that decision, will you come up and tell them the decision you made? Because we want to bless you and pray for you. And Lord, for all of us, may we have hearts of thanksgiving, even through the difficulties and the trials and the losses and that we go through because we have you the greatest need of any man or woman is to be forgiven and I pray that this Thanksgiving that we would express your love and truth to others as we gather with friends and with family I pray for those who will be traveling that you keep them safe and bring them back safely to us Lord that this Christmas season we enter into, that it would be a time that we remember that Jesus came for the purpose of bringing light to a dark world. And he came for the purpose of dying for us. So Lord, we want to keep our eyes on you and our priority on you in every way. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?